0: Good morning. Welcome to Westbridge Church. Welcome to Narnia. Uh, That's what it looks like outside. And uh, welcome to all of you uh, on our uh, online campus. That's a great option. Uh, And welcome to those of you in our parent viewing rooms. Great option if you have small children you prefer to keep with you during the service. Uh, My name is Jeremiah. I'm one of the pastors here. And uh, we are starting, uh, actually not starting, we're in week three of a series that we started at the beginning of the year called Emotional Health. And so uh, there's kind of a a big reason behind this. We started this series a couple of weeks ago with this kind of big thought. We wanted to address this right away, beginning of 2023, beginning of the year. Uh, And here's the idea behind this whole series, that you cannot be spiritually mature and remain emotionally immature. That's the whole thought behind this whole entire series, that becoming spiritually mature or becoming more like Jesus impacts our relationships, And so, if you're, if you're stunted emotionally and you have these emotional things that you can't figure out how to deal with emotions in a healthy way, it impacts us in the area of relationships more than any other area. And yet, following jesus and growing to become spiritually mature uh, looks like becoming more like jesus which means we become more loving towards other people and so it's really difficult to become more like jesus become more loving towards others and not grow in our emotional health and understand how to deal with emotions because it impacts us in the area of relationships And so in order to to mature spiritually, we've also got to be maturing emotionally and figure out what is a healthy biblical way to deal with some of the emotions that we experience here in this life. That's why uh, King Solomon early on wrote these words in Proverbs. He says, above all else, guard your heart for everything you do flows from it. And so throughout this series, we've said that the wisdom that comes from this is not that you just follow your heart. In fact, if you want to live a really kind of emotional roller coaster of a life, then by all means, follow your heart. But the truth is, we guard what goes into our heart because our life flows out of what we put in. And so over the last couple of weeks, we've really looked at a couple of different emotions and what they mean for us. And here's what we've looked at. Number one, we've said this, guilt says I owe you. Guilt says, I owe you. There is a sense in in these emotions that something has been stolen. And so there's a sense if I've done something to you, if I've said something about you, uh, said something I wish I hadn't said, done something I wish I hadn't done, something I regret, uh, I I feel like there's a sense that I owe something to you, that I I wish I could pay you back. And we even use that language. We use very kind of like financial terms when we say, man, uh, let me make it up to you. I owe you an apology. And so guilt says, I owe you. There, there's an inequity in our relationship. We're not on even footing. Uh, there's a debt-debtor relationship, and, and now I owe you. And on the flip side of that, when someone does something to you, you experience this emotion of anger. And anger says, you owe me. You owe me. There's a sense where you've stolen from me. You said something. You did something. And now we are not even. Like There, there is an, an inequity in this relationship, but it's the other way. Because now you owe me something. And here's, here's what we've kind of talked about through the last couple of weeks just to bring you up to speed. When we talk about guilt, we said guilt, the solution to guilt, and these are things, these emotions kind of get lodged in your heart. And, and then they make their way out into your relationships. And when it comes to guilt, we said that the solution to guilt, to keeping your heart clean of guilt is confession. Confession. That we first confess to God for forgiveness, but then we confess to the person that we've hurt or the person that we've wronged, or we confess to others to experience healing and change. Because it's really difficult for me to keep going back and doing the same thing when I have to go to you and confess and apologize. And even though I maybe couldn't even pay you back what I feel I owe you, the, the act of confession brings healing and change. And then we said, what about anger? When it comes to anger, anger says, you owe me. And the truth is, somebody might owe you and you might be 100% in the right. But the best solution for anger is forgiveness. And we don't forgive somebody because they deserve it. And we don't forgive somebody because uh, their apology was so eloquent. We forgive because of all that we've been forgiven. Forgiveness isn't about letting them off the hook. It's about setting ourselves free from carrying around bitterness and resentment. And so when we look at all that God has forgiven us, it empowers us to extend that same grace and forgiveness to other people. And today, we're gonna look at another emotion that's very, very subtle. It's a very, very subtle emotion that sneaks into our hearts, much more subtle than guilt or anger. And to help us today, I'm gonna do something that is gonna feel so crazy, and I'm just gonna ask you to trust me. This is a group participation exercise. And here's what I'm gonna ask you to do. I'm gonna ask you to pull out your wallet, or your checkbook, or your purse, or a credit card, whatever it is that you, whatever currency you have on you, go ahead and put that, pull that out and just hold it in your hand in front of you. Go ahead and do that right now. First service did this, and let me just tell you, it was chaos, <laughs> so we're gonna see how this goes. Maybe it's a phone, maybe you have Apple Pay on your phone, pull that out, okay, I just want you to keep it in your hand in front of you, whatever you got. All right, now, here's what I'm gonna ask you to do. Everybody got that? I'm gonna ask you to hand it to the person to your right. Just hand it to them. You can go across the aisle. That's fine. Yeah, if you need to get up, cross the aisle. No problem. Pass it. Here we go. All right. Let's go. This is so fun. Okay. This is scary. I love this. If you're watching online, you're just like, what is happening in that place right now? This is unbelievable. Okay, so now you have the person who is sitting to the left of you. You have their form of currency, wallet purse, credit card, cash, whatever. Now, I'm gonna ask you to take theirs and I'm gonna ask you to pass it one more to the right. Go ahead and just pass it down one more. Now we're having fun. Some of you have never been so tense in church ever in your life. You're like, they talked about hell once and it wasn't this bad. I mean, it was just... Okay, now, everybody got that? This is awesome, fantastic. All right, now we're going to receive an offering. I want you to give like you've never given before. Well, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> okay, that was it. Now I want us to return it to their appropriate owners. Let's give it all back, make sure it's all there. Okay, everybody breathe. Okay, the blood pressure in this room has collectively gone up so high right now. It's like, I'm so warm right now. It's unbelievable. <laughs> some of you, some of you, you're like, I knew it. I came to church. I knew it. This, it was my first time in church. I thought I'm going to give it a shot. And sure enough, there it is. The other shoe is dropping. Uh, some of you were like, like, you have not looked up here in the last two minutes because you have not taken your eye off of that wallet. You're just like, <laughs> I see you, buddy. Don't worry. Do you sense the tension and the emotion that we have around? Like, how hesitant are you to pass it, and then you pass it again, and it's just like, oh my gosh, like you're checking on your credit card. Like, I got to make sure everything's all right. Do you see how emotional we get when it comes to this? And and here's why I do this. This is just a simple exercise to remind us that uh, there's this subtle emotion called greed. And here's what's really fascinating about this, because uh, guilt says, I owe you. Anger says you owe me, but greed says I owe me. Greed says I owe it to myself because I have to take care of me. In fact, I'm worried that somebody else won't take care of me. And and if I'm not, if I'm going to be taken care of in this life, then I owe it to myself to put that on my shoulders. I owe me. And greed is the assumption that whatever comes to you must be for you. Whatever comes to you must be for you, but just because it it came to you, it must be for you. I I owe me, and if I don't take care of me, nobody else is gonna take care of me, so I have to look out for myself and make sure I'm taken care of. And here's what's amazing about this. Greed is this very subtle thing. It's like, it gets into our hearts. In in the way that you think about your physical heart and things that clog your arteries, greed is one of those things that's like, it comes in and it clogs your arteries spiritually, and you don't even know it's there. It's just one of those things that uh, left undealt with can cause massive damage. But what's amazing about it is it's so subtle. It's very easy to see in other people and it's very difficult to see in ourselves. In fact, it's almost like this message feels very irrelevant because none of us struggle with greed. (laughs) But we can all think of that person in our friend group or our family who really needs to hear this message. So I thought we'd go ahead and do it. But the truth is this, right? Regardless of what we believe about God, maybe you're just exploring faith. Maybe you're not even a Jesus follower. You're watching online. You got invited by a friend. You're like, all right, I'll give this church thing a shot. And you're like, here we go. They're talking about this. The truth is we all want to be generous people. I don't know anybody who wants to be known as a stingy, miserable, miserly person. Nobody wants to be known for that. In fact, you've been around people who have allowed greed to kind of get into their hearts. And it filters the way that they view relationships. And it filters the way that they interact with other people. And, and you're like, it's miserable. I don't, it's not fun to be around them. Because we get the word miserable from the word miser. A miser is someone who like, has to hold on to everything and make sure. Like, and really, it, it, a miser is somebody who lives a greedy life. Greed says, I owe it to myself. And so I owe it to myself to hold on to all that I can. And in living that way, it's actually miserable existence. And when greed gets lodged in our heart, it becomes our filter. It starts to impact our relationships and the way that we view people and the way that we treat people, because I owe it to me to take care of me. And what's fascinating is the Apostle Paul understood how this subtle emotion can derail our relationships. In fact, the Apostle Paul was a guy in the first century, he would start churches, and then he'd, he'd help them get started and talk about how to live out the way of Jesus. And at one point in his uh, sort of missionary career, he, he lived in a city called Ephesus, And uh, he was there for about two years and he was teaching people and got the church up and running. And then he moved on and left it uh, in the hands of a young pastor named Timothy. And then he writes a couple of letters back to Timothy instructing him on, here's how you uh, live as a pastor. Here's the things I want you to uh, teach your people and instruct those people and help them live out the way of Jesus. And so he's writing to him and one of the things he describes for him is, How greed can be a very subtle thing that causes a lot of destruction in people's lives. And so here's what he writes to Timothy, and it applies to us as well. He says, true godliness with contentment is itself great wealth. He says, let me describe what wealth is. If you can follow Jesus and learn to be content with what you have, you're wealthy. Follow Jesus. Learn to be content with what you have. Godliness with contentment, that in and of itself is great wealth. After all, we brought nothing with us when we came into the world, and we can't take anything with us when we leave it. So if we have enough food and clothing, let us be content. But people who long to be rich fall into temptation and are trapped by many foolish and harmful desires that plunge them into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. The love of money. Now notice, Paul doesn't say money is, the root, uh, is evil. Money is neutral. It's completely neutral. It's a currency. It's a tool. But the love of money, the chasing of money, the desire for it, The love of money is the root of all kinds of evil, and some people craving money have wandered from the true faith and pierced themselves with many sorrows. And you could probably think of somebody in your sphere of influence, somebody in your circle of friends, somebody in your family, extended family, someone that you know, who in their pursuit, it wasn't that money was bad, in their pursuit, in their chasing, in the the desire to accumulate and acquire, ended up piercing themselves with many sorrows. Ended up experiencing relational fatigue, ended up experiencing spiritual fatigue, ended up experiencing uh, loss, and ended up experiencing things that they wished they didn't experience because of the fact that they were chasing to accumulate. And it wasn't that money was bad. It was their desire for it. It was their pursuit of it. And this is so incredibly insightful. Uh, Paul writes this in the first century. And here we are in the 21st century, and it's 100% relevant. It's so applicable. If we don't recognize and settle the issue of greed in our own hearts, it becomes an appetite that is never satisfied. And and what happens is we end up hurting ourselves. We end up hurting others in our pursuit of what we believe will bring us this satisfaction and this security. And so I'm thankful that Paul doesn't end there. First, he kind of presents the problem, and then he gives some instructions to Timothy and says, here's the things that you're to teach people about how to handle their finances so that greed doesn't make its way into their hearts and consequently out into their relationships. And so Paul gives Timothy this great wisdom and how we ought to handle all that God has entrusted to us to help us consistently overcome greed that makes its way into our hearts. And the first thing he says is this. Number one, recognize all that you have been given recognize all that you have been given. This is so important. Uh, To borrow from Warren Buffett, Warren Buffett said that we have won the ovarian lottery. The fact that we even live in the United States of America in the 21st century means that you automatically have an upper hand on so many people who have lived in human history. Think about this. I mean, somebody posed the question the other day, would you rather live like an average American today or like a king 500 years ago? And I thought, even a king 500 years ago didn't have running water. Even a king 500 years ago. Like, life is so much better for the average American today than kings lived 500 years ago. We, we didn't decide when we would be born. We didn't decide the opportunities we'd be given. We didn't decide which talents we'd have, what, uh, what access we would have to, uh, to different uh, resources. Whatever material wealth or riches you've been able to accumulate in this world have been entrusted to you by God. And so the question that each of us has to wrestle with is, God, why have you entrusted to me what you have? However much or however little, it isn't about more, it's about how do I manage what's been given to me? And so here's what Paul writes to Timothy. He says this, teach those who are rich in this world not to be proud and not to trust in their money, which is so unreliable. He's like, by the way, if they're putting their trust in money, they need to know it's unreliable. And so... Paul says to Timothy, there's some instructions that you need to give to the people who are rich in this world. And here's what's interesting about you and me. Paul realizes, hey, there's some specific instructions that need to be given to people who are rich in this world. And when we read some of these verses, what we're going to be tempted to think is, well, these don't apply to me because I'm not rich. And the truth is, it's easy to skip over some of these verses because Paul sets it up as, teach this to rich people. And we look at our lives sometimes and we go, well, that's not me. That doesn't apply. Where's the normal person versus? But listen, there's some interesting complexities that rich people have to deal with that, that normal people don't have to deal with. And let me give you a few examples. Rich people save up money uh, that they don't need because they have extra. And they put it into account and it draws interest and their money makes money for them. And some point in their lives, they tell their kids, go to college. I'll pay for that. It's amazing. That's a, that's a rich person problem that they have to deal with, that most people don't have to deal with. Uh, rich people have to do financial planning or estate planning. And it's like, man, I know that when I die, I'm gonna have extra money. I have more money than I have time to spend it. And so uh, I, now I have to pay somebody to do something with all the extra money that I have after I die. What a hassle, you know? It's, it's rough. Uh, rich people overeat. I mean, they have so much food in their house that they will literally go into their refrigerator and take food that they didn't finish yesterday and throw that food away because they'd have to make space for the new food that they brought in today. It's so stressful. It's such a problem. Uh, My three kids that live at home enjoy three different types of cereal. Do you know how stressful that is? I mean, it's like we have to buy three different types of cereal and pour it into three different bowls. I mean, come on, who's got time for this? Um, Rich people's kids have too much stuff. And rich people say to their friends, I'm worried that my kids are going to get spoiled. And then they go home and give them more stuff. It's a a problem. It it can be a lot of stress. It can be a lot to deal with. Uh, It's just part of being rich. Rich people go into their kitchen and they have all of these cupboards in there, but they're like, they're dated. And so they pull them all out, even though they're functioning, and then they replace them all with other cupboards. And then they complain about the fact that their house is a construction zone during the time that they're doing that. It's a hassle. It's a lot to deal with for rich people. It's a complex uh, issue. There's a lot of social pressure when you're rich. Uh, like you have to look a certain way and pay attention to style. Rich women uh, stand in front of a closet full of clothes, and I've never seen this. I've, I've heard this happens, that they stand in front of a closet full of clothes and they say, you guys know some rich people. Okay. That's amazing. Yeah. I have nothing to wear. Uh, that's... A, that's a, that's what I've heard. And their rich husband is down in the garage, you know, wiping his car down with a diaper. And uh, a lot of people uh, don't in the world don't own cars. But here in the United States, we have houses for our cars. It's pretty amazing. And uh, then they'll take a car that runs fine and they'll trade it in for a different car that runs fine. Th- this one fascinates me. Rich people, whoever they work for, their company will say to them, you can, you can take a few weeks and not come to work and we're still going to pay you what? That's sick. Like, you don't even have to show up for work. In fact, go somewhere exotic. And, and we're going to pay you while you're gone, while you're hanging out with your family and doing whatever. And then, and then this, is, this is why it's, it's stressful if you're a rich person, because then you have to think about what am I going to do with my family with all this extra time and money that I have. And then, you know, your family gets into a fight over where you're going to go on vacation. It's just, it's a whole thing. It's a hassle. Uh, Rich people have, they have a house and they have only one family living in that house. It's amazing, right? Can you believe that? At our house, we have a room nobody sleeps in. We call it a guest room. It's like we have a bedroom in case someone comes over. So it's like, no, don't go in there. That's for people we don't know yet. (laughs) Don't mess up that room. Someone might sleep there someday. You know, it's like, that's a rich person problem, right? And then this one's one of of my favorites. Uh, Watering limitations. Like we take... Pure, clean drinking water that the rest of the world considers drinking water. And rich people take that and they, th- they throw it all over their grass and bushes. And then the county comes along and says, listen, there's actually a watering restriction. So you can only take that super pure, clean drinking water and splash it on your grass and bushes every other day. And it's so frustrating because I paid for the grass and the bushes and now they're turning brown. And, you know, I know my neighbors are doing it at night every night when no one's watching. So theirs is all green. And it's like, come on, this is a rich person problem. There's a lot of people around the world who don't have access to clean drinking water, but I take my drinking water and I throw it on my grass. It's stressful. You see, rich people just have layers and layers of complexity and stress that normal people don't have to deal with. And and so the temptation for us is to go, well, these verses don't apply to me because I'm not rich. The truth is, nobody thinks they're rich because every one of us base rich, wealth, whatever word you want to use, on the person in the tax bracket ahead of us. And so uh, Gallup did a survey, and anybody that made $30,000 a year, they said, who's, who's wealthy? And they said, well, people who make $70,000 a year, they're, they're rich. And the people who made $70,000 a year said, well, the people who make $100,000 a year, they're super rich. And the people who make $100,000, and on and on it goes, and nobody thinks they're rich. Only the people in the tax bracket ahead of you are. It's fascinating, isn't it? And the truth is, if you were to look it up and try to plot yourself out, and you can actually do this, there's websites that will help you do this, Global Rich List, And you can look this up, if you make $37,000 a year, your whole entire household income makes $37,000 a year, you are in the top 4% of wage earners in the world. Think about that. If you make $45,000 a year, combined household income, $45,000 a year or more, you're in the top 1% of wage earners in the world. And yet, when I tell you that, nobody in this room has this thought. Wow, we're a lot richer than I thought. This is amazing. I love this place. (laughs) No sense of relief washes over you, does it? Because this is how we tend to think about wealth and riches. And so this is why Paul writes to Timothy and says this. Don't be proud. Tell them not to put their trust into their money, which is so unreliable. Because isn't this true? I mean, when we, when we try to find security in our stuff, isn't it true that no matter how much you have, anything can happen? You're not promised tomorrow. Isn't it true no matter how much you have, why everything you have has been given to you? Everything good comes from God. He's the owner of it all. He entrusts it to us. You didn't have anything to do with it. And if we're gonna deal with greed, it doesn't mean that you don't work hard, it doesn't mean that, but again, you didn't decide when you'd be born and your access to resources and your access to opportunities and your access to the talents that you have and all of that is God-given. And if we don't recognize that, then we start to take on the burden of saying, well, I owe it to myself to take care of me. And you have to recognize what you've been given. And then you just have to admit, you know what, I I think these verses apply to me. I think when Paul says, teach those who are rich in this world, I think I might fall into that category. And then Paul gives this next step. He says this, trust in God, not your money. He says, put your trust in God, not your money. Why? Because deep beneath the surface of greed is fear. Fear is what drives greed. See, greed is actually supported by this endless list of what-ifs. And it's actually fear that drives greed. Greed. And so we have this fear of like, well, what if, what if it gets scratched? What if it gets ruined? What if there's not enough? What if they run out? What if the economy crashes? What if, what if, what if, what if, what if? And it is this collective series of what ifs that leads us to go, well, I, that's why I've got to take care of me. That's why I owe it to myself to take care of me. Instead, the Apostle Paul says this, teach those who are rich in this world not to be proud, not to trust in their money, which is so unreliable. No matter how much you have, you're not promised tomorrow. Their trust should be in God, who richly gives us all we need for our enjoyment. In other words, the Apostle Paul says this, Don't put your trust in riches. Put your trust in the one who richly provides. Don't put your trust in riches. Put your trust in the one who richly provides. People with greed lodged in their hearts, they fear that God can't or won't take care of them. And more to the point, they fear that God won't take care of them in the way that they want to be taken care of, in the way that they're accustomed to. And so they shift their sense of security. They shift their trust from God to their stuff. And they go, well, this will provide for me the life that I'm accustomed to living or the life that I want to live. And so I'm going to bear the burden. I'm going to put on my shoulders whatever I need to provide that sense of security that I desire. And yet here's what we know. No matter how much you have, you are not promised tomorrow. I love the way that Solomon writes it in Proverbs. He says this, the rich think of their wealth as a strong defense. They imagine it to be a high wall of safety. It's such great language because you can imagine that it's true. It doesn't make it true. He says they imagine that it's a high wall of safety, but that is truly their imagination because no matter how much they have, you're not promised tomorrow. It's so fascinating. Jesus actually said at one point to be on the guard against every type of greed because life does not uh, amount in all of your possessions. Another time, Jesus said this No one can serve two masters. You'll hate one and love the other. You'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Oh, time out, Jesus. Don't you mean God and the devil? Those seem to be the opposites here. And Jesus says, no, God of money, because here's what Jesus knew, that the number one, uh, the number one sort of uh, pull on our hearts, for us as human beings, the, the, the what-ifs that we face are legitimate. And Jesus knew that that would drive us to greed. And so he knew that the, the number one pull on our hearts, the thing that would pull us away, pull our attention, uh, pull our affection, pull our devotion from him, would be a dependence on our things here in this life. So he says, look, you can't be devoted to both of those things. And so Paul says, recognize what you have been given. There's no reason for pride because all of this has been entrusted to you. And secondly, don't allow your hope and your trust to shift from God to your stuff. And the way that you keep those things in perspective, Paul gives us a very simple action step. He says this, regularly practice generosity. Regularly practice generosity in the way that... uh, The way to do this the way to clear our hearts of greed as it slips in because it slips into my heart it slips into your heart it's subtle i see it in other people i never see it in myself and all of a sudden i realize i'm kind of starting to live my life like this in fact here's how you know that greed is starting to slide into your heart is when you start using that language i owe it to myself i owe it i owe it i owe me i owe it to myself to do this when you start using that type of language that might be an indicator that greed is starting to subtly slip into your heart. And the way Paul says to combat that is to regularly practice generosity, to regularly open your hands, to regularly take what has been entrusted to you and give it away. Consistently, not just once in a while, consistently, Their default setting on a regular basis. In the same way that uh, for your physical heart, exercise is healthy for your physical heart to, to help blood flow. And to to keep your arteries from getting clogged up. And you don't do this. You don't go like, man, it's January 1st. I exercise and I'm good for the year. You go, no, it's a consistent habit that when I consistently a little bit at a time, consistently a little bit at a time, I exercise, it helps keep my heart clear and it, it helps blood flow through my heart and helps keep my heart healthy. In the same way, a regular consistent practice of generosity helps clean greed out of our hearts. And it's a declaration that says, God, My security isn't found in my wealth and my possessions and my stuff. My trust is not in my riches. I'm trusting in the one who richly provides. Now, here are the instructions that Paul tells Timothy to give to these these rich people, these people who have extra. He says, tell them to use their money to do good. They should be rich in good works and generous to those in need, always being ready to share with others. This is the exact opposite of someone who is living like this, someone who is a miser, someone who lives miserable. When you're around people who are just like always ready to give, always ready to share, always saying, yeah, absolutely. Let me, hey, let me grab the check. Hey, let me. how can I help? Let me be generous with what God's entrusted to me. Man, it's fun to be around those people. It impacts your relationships. And the only way to practice generosity is to be active and intentional about it. Not passive, not spontaneous. You regularly make it a habit. It isn't something that you stumble into. And when you don't regularly practice generosity and use what you have to give away to others, you start to drift back into pride. You start to drift back into greed. You start to drift back into putting your, your trust in your stuff and your things. And the only way to keep greed from gripping your heart is to actively and regularly and consistently practice generosity, saying, God, you're the owner. You've entrusted it to me. So I'm going to return back to you out of what you've given me. I'm going I'm to be generous with what you've entrusted to me. And Paul says there is a byproduct of living your life that way. That what happens is not only do you keep your heart healthy, but you know what you do? You develop an eternal perspective. It actually helps you start to see life through a different lens. It actually helps you start to see life through the lens through which God created you to live. Listen to how Paul describes this byproduct. So first he goes through all these things, right? Tell them not to put their trust in their money. Tell them, tell them to be good uh, stewards of it and to, and to give out of what God's given to them, to be generous and kind to others and willing to share because God's gonna supply all their needs anyways. And then he says this, by doing this, they will be storing up their treasure as a good foundation for the future so that they may experience true life. So that they may experience the life that is truly life. In fact, I'd encourage you, circle the words true life on your outline. Here's what that means. This life is not all there is to this life. So that means that every time that you recognize what has been given to you, and every time that you shift your hope and your trust from your stuff to God, and you decide, I'm going to regularly practice generosity, you are actually investing in your eternal treasure. Because here's what Paul says. You can't take any of it with you. We, we, We didn't bring anything with us into this world. We're not taking anything with us when we go. But here's what you can do you can send it on ahead you can take what has been entrusted to you and you can invest in those things that have eternal significance and when you choose to recognize it's been given to you and you practice generosity your security rests in god and you start to develop this eternal perspective and you recognize you know what i, I want to make a difference that outlives my life that when my life is done here in this world that the ripple effect of my generosity continues to live on and making a difference in other people's lives Now, here's what I know. Guilt rarely motivates people to generosity. It can, short term. But sometimes, uh, you know, unintentionally, what churches do is they, they use a lot of guilt and pressure and manipulation, and they say, you better give or God won't bless your life. That is not at all the message of Jesus. The message of Jesus is God has blessed your life, and we get the opportunity to give as a result of that. And so I just recognize guilt, manipulation. My hope is that when we talk about this as a church, that you understand, I, I love talking about this. I used to hate this when we first started the church. I'd be like, oh man, what are we going to do? I've got to talk about money. And I know people hate when the church talks about money. And now I get excited about it, and I'll tell you why. I love that we get to present what the scriptures teach without using guilt or manipulation uh, here's what I can tell you: the church is in a healthy place. We made a commitment a long time ago that we're never going to teach on this from a place of desperation or need. That isn't the point. And we do this with every topic when it comes to the scriptures. So why not this topic as well? That applies to every single one of us. We go here's what here's what the scriptures teach. Here's what God wants for you, not because He wants something from you, but because He wants something for you. And now you get to decide what to do with that between you and God. And the church is healthy, and we're moving forward, and we're doing ministry, we're reaching people, we're helping others. But the truth is, this is between you and God. And what you decide to do with this is up to you. I know guilt rarely motivates people. I know that an awareness of need rarely motivates people to generosity. I think that what, what really changes people's hearts towards their stuff is realizing every time I return back to God out of what he's entrusted to me, it helps grow my faith, and I'm making an investment in the life that is truly life, the life beyond this life. See, that's motivating. So how do we do that? In really practical terms, let me give you two simple things that you can do. And I want to encourage you, if you've never done this before, put it to the test. Just try this. Try to put these things into practice. Uh, And and if you're like, man, uh, that just, I I just don't know if this is going to work. Give it a shot. What have you got to lose? Here's two simple steps that will help you. Number one, give back to God first. Give back to God first. What does that mean? Uh, I intentionally wrote the word back because when we give to God, we're actually returning to him out of what he's first entrusted to us. Again, everything comes from him. He's the owner. We have to settle that issue of ownership and recognize we have been given it. We have been entrusted it. And so if you want to be consistently generous, you give back to God first. You make it a priority. In fact, in Proverbs, Solomon writes this, honor God with everything you own, give him the first and the best. And so this just means every single time that it comes to you, before I do anything else, I give back to God. In fact, the language we use all the time is give, save, live. Give, save, live. Give, save, live. We give back to God first, then we save. That's just wisdom. And then we live on the rest. The American culture teaches you this. Live, 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 live. If you have any leftover, save a little. And then if there's any left after that, maybe consider giving. And it's completely backwards. And God, all God is saying is, God's not asking you to give everything you have. God's just saying reverse the order. Give back to Him first. And then put a little in saving, that's wisdom, and then live on the rest and trust that God will provide. And when you do that, it's amazing what happens. In fact, there's so many times in our lives where this this didn't make sense. We've done this, uh, you know, my parents taught me this from an early age. This is how you handle your money. We've taught our kids this. And it's amazing. There's so many seasons in my life where I'm like, yeah, it feels like it's in my best interest. In fact, I owe it to myself to not do that. Because I will have more money if I don't do that. And that's true. In the short term but there's so many times where I've decided we're just gonna live this way and I'm worried that I'm gonna have more months left over at the end of my money and yet God I'm not trusting in my stuff I'm trusting in you I don't want to put my trust in riches I want to trust the one who richly provides so I'm gonna give it back to you first and I'm telling you there's so many seasons of our life where the math didn't make sense but somehow God provides and my faith grows and I go, man, God really can be trusted. He's the one who provides for me. In fact, this is a prayer of David that David prayed when he was dedicating. Uh, they were building a temple in the Old Testament in, in Jerusalem. And he prays this prayer as he's dedicating his wealth to God. And he says this, wealth and honor come from you alone for you rule over everything. But who am I and who are my people that we could give anything to you? Everything we have has come from you, and we give you only what you first gave us. And so we have to recognize, we're going to give back to God first. In fact, every week, when we, at the end of service, we say, here's an opportunity to bring back as a percentage of what God has entrusted to us, and bring back as a part of our worship out of what God's entrusted to us financially. You, we never use the language here, we're going to take an offering, because we don't think we're taking anything. All we're doing is returning out of what God's given us first. If you've never done that before, I want to challenge you to give that a shot. Because I don't see my money and my stuff as my own. I'm simply the manager of what God has entrusted. So I return to God first. Every time that I get paid, I give back to God first. Here's the second thing. Give back to God a percentage. Well, why do we do that? Well, because, I don't know about you, but if I don't have a percentage, then when I get money that comes in, then I'm tempted more and more and more and more to talk myself into less and less amounts. And I convince myself that I'm more generous than I actually am. Now, maybe that's just me. But my guess is that's that's part of human nature, right? And so throughout the scriptures, there's this pattern of God saying a percentage of what you have, bring it back to me. He doesn't give a dollar amount, just a percentage. And the reason is that we give in proportion to what has been given to us. We give in proportion to what God has entrusted to us. And so in the Old Testament, when God's bringing this concept to the nation of Israel, he says, make an offering of 10%, a tithe. Bring this into the presence of God. And in this way, you will learn to live in deep reverence before God as long as you live. The goal is this second part. The goal is that when we do this, we learn to live in deep reverence before God. That when I per- return back to God first and when I turn back to God a percentage, it shifts my heart towards my stuff and my faith in God grows and I get to make a difference in the world. And all throughout the scriptures, we come to understand God does not need or want your money. What God wants is for you to shift your trust to him. He wants us to look to him to be the source of our security so we don't put our trust in riches. We put our trust in the one who richly provides. My goal is to do this faithfully throughout my lifetime. That, that I would give a percentage of everything that comes in first, right off the top. And every time that I get paid, this is my habit. And it's this exercise that keeps greed from getting lodged in my heart. And it helps me to see others and see the world through the lens of generosity. I want you to know that we do this as a church. In fact, uh, every year, we, every time that you give to the church, we give away 10% as a church right off the top. And then we have another bucket and we give even more away. Last year, uh, through uh, various different projects, and uh, we've been doing Fathers for the Fatherless for the last three years. Last year, we started something called Run For Her, and uh, this was a way for us to give back even more. We have global partners that we give to every single month. We have local projects. We have global projects. uh, We have scholarship funds for students, for camps and mission trips. I mean, there's all kinds of things that we're doing. Let's just give, 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 and be generous. And last year as a church, uh, man, we were able to uh, help start Run For Her And we're doing it again this year. And I want you to see uh, the impact that that's making. Check out this video. All right. Are you ready? Tell me what it was like to run for her. I did not think that that was something I would, would ever be capable of doing. I didn't think I could actually run that far. I signed up because I wanted to make a difference. I wanted to do something. I was nervous to show up to the training runs. I broke my kneecap beginning of January. I just didn't know if I would have the physical capacity if I would be healed. It's difficult for me to leave my my comfort zone, to leave my comfort nest. It was way out of my comfort zone. I didn't want to sign up for something that I wasn't able to finish. When I first signed up, I kind of thought of it as like an event, but it's really more a small group that was really also unexpected but really enjoyable. I thought, oh, this is just going to be another race that I'm training for and in it to put the miles in. And I never would have realized how much I became connected with the mission for Run For her. I think I realized it definitely towards, towards the end as we got further along in the training that your body adjusts and your mind also adjusts. If it wasn't for the fact that we were doing it together, it wouldn't have been the same. Once you get out of your own head and realize that this isn't about me, it was about something much bigger. There are people worth fighting for in this world, whether you've met them or not. Kind of hit me a different than when I just run a race for myself. I feel like I just have this greater awareness. I realized this has grown towards, towards and the end weekend. as we got further along. Okay. I the most unexpected thing was just um, some of the conversations that we had on runs and body adjusts and mind also adjusts. I think one of my favorite quotes, my favorite quotes, favorite quotes about that I got when we were talking was, was something my husband something always said. said. So if you're interested in participating in Run For Her this year, uh, you can start signing up for that even today, and uh, that's going to be later on this spring. But here's what I want you to know. Uh, There's a couple of things before we close, real quick. Some people have asked this in the past. Why do we give to a local church as opposed to just, why can't I just give to local Christian charities? You absolutely can. Uh, You can give to local Christian charities, and I'd encourage you to do that. But let me just explain something real quick here. I'd encourage you to give to Christian charities, but the model in the Scriptures is that my first 10% is going to go back to the local church, and here's why. Because of the ministry that takes place here. Last year as a church, being a part of a church is bigger than any one of us can do on our own. So because of so many of you who have given so faithfully last year as a church through our legacy project, uh, all of our above and beyond giving, our consistent giving away of 10% as a church uh, through Run for Her, Fathers for the Fatherless, all of these different initiatives, we were able to give away over $300,000 last year. That's incredible. And that's more than any one of us could probably do on our own in any given, in one given year. And the other thing that happens is this, here at Westbridge, you are a part of services like this your uh, your elementary age and preschool son or daughter get to be a part of being around other preschoolers and other elementary kids that are learning about Jesus in community. You get to be a part of small groups. Uh, you get to serve other people. There's so much we can do collectively as a church that if every one of us just decided to give to local charities, a Westbridge church wouldn't exist. We get to be a part of something that's bigger than ourselves, and collectively, as each of us gives uh, to this, you are supporting those things, because as a church, we've done so much with local Christian charities, global projects, global partners. Uh, We've done so much around the world and in our community. And so collectively, we can do more than any of us can do together. Second, I want you to hear this. This is not a message, I said this already, not a message of help. We need your money. If you don't give, we're going to close the doors in six weeks. It's not that at all. We made a commitment to always teach on this from a place of health and let you decide between you and God uh, how you handle this. Uh, This is not like, uh, we need a new corporate jet, you know, our old one works fine, okay? (laughs) We only use it on Sundays, it's fine. Uh, Just kidding. And then thirdly, I want you to hear me say this, thank you. I never want to miss a chance to say thank you for being such a generous church. I mean, we could not do what we do without you, and for me to stand here and be like, hey... We, our entire annual budget as a church didn't hit 300000 for the first four years. And so the fact that we're giving away that much off the top is unbelievable. So thank you. I never want to miss a chance to say thank you for being such a generous church. And uh, I want to continue to be the most generous church that anybody's ever heard of. And so thank you for participating with us. So many of you do that so faithfully, and we couldn't do what we do without you. Here's what I want you to know. At the heart of the message of Jesus is generosity jesus said this god loved the world so much that he gave his only son god gave everything for you and me so that whoever puts their trust in him would not would not die would not perish but would have eternal life that though my body in my physical body will die that i will live forever as a part of god's family and all that's required to do that is to put your trust in jesus to say yes to the invitation." to have your sins forgiven and to be welcomed as a part of God's family. And I want to invite you, if you've never said yes to that, I want to invite you to do that. And you can do that by just agreeing with this prayer as we close. God, please forgive my sins. Forgive me for the times that I've walked away from you. I'm so grateful you never walk away from me. And in your love for me, you gave. You gave. You gave your son. I want to put my trust in him. Help me to follow you as best as I know how. Make me your son. Make me your daughter. And God, for every one of us, we fight So often, the fear of the what-ifs. They're very legitimate. And, And yet, we recognize to fight against that, regularly practicing generosity will help rid our hearts of the greed that makes its way in. And so I just pray, give us the wisdom to see where to apply this in our life, and then give us the courage to do it. In Jesus' name, amen.